This is Focus on God's Word with Graham Weir. Hello and welcome. I'm Graham Weir, and this is part six, the final part in a great series of the Reformation Revisited. In this series, we're going to be taking a close look at the fantastic journey that God's people can expect to participate in on the way home. So this is a celebration program which I think you should hold in your mind forever. We're also going to take a look, a deep look, courtesy of Hubble and NASA, deep inside the constellation of Orion. And you're going to see through the program why this constellation has so much fascination for NASA and Hubble. Interesting. It's been called a star factory. But in there, there's some amazing things. So we're going to take a look at that. I think you're going to enjoy it, so stay tuned. Let's begin with a prayer. Loving Father in heaven, we praise you and thank you for all the wonderful things that you have prepared for your people. We have considered the past, the heritage of the great Protestant Reformation, and in this program we are to consider its close, its completion, and that mighty journey home that you have prepared for your people the victory circuit around heaven. Please bless us, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and incline our heart to want to do your will. Because we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Our text for the program, and we'll get to that in a minute. Have you ever wondered what a heavenly journey home is going to be like? Yes. Ever wondered about that? It's a subject of deep thought and inspiration, isn't it, to think about what God has prepared for that seven-day journey home. God's Word holds the key to what it's going to be like. He's revealed in His Word where heaven will be, what heaven will be like, where its capital will be, what its capital will look like, what the people will be like there, where people will live, and what people will actually do there. And our text today is Revelation 21, 1 and 2, and it says this, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, this is John the Revelator in vision, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And as we read further, we discover an amazing description of the holy city descending from heaven. We read in verse 9, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, full of the last, seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come thither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Imagine what John must have thought when he saw this vision. Having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. A great and high wall, and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. So what do these measurements mean in today's terms? Well, a furlong is one-fifth of a kilometre. 12,000 furlongs will equal 2,400 kilometres. We assume that's the total circumference, approximately 1,491 miles around a city. That's kind of big, isn't it? If we divide it by four, we get 600 kilometres, or approximately 372 miles down each side. And a bit I can't get my head around is the height. 372 miles high? Really? It's enormous. It's stupendous. 
The Bible says that the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. So can you imagine a city 372 miles high? Well, modern jets cruise around 9,000 metres or 30,000 feet, which is only nine kilometres or five miles. So in metric terms, this city would be around 67 times higher than passenger jets fly. I can't get my head around that. Nothing's impossible for God. You think, wait a minute, you're going to be way out in space. Well, that's not too hard for God, is it? But for a human mind, woo! As some commentators say about this, that the answer lies in the interpretation of the word equal. They say it means, which we think it means exactly the same as. They say it really means in proportion to. Well, I have to confess, I've done some research and I can't find anything, any references to back up the claim. So I don't know for sure. And in any case, if we question the meaning of the word equal in regard to the city's height, then we also have to question it in regard to the length and the breadth too, don't we? So, that's all too hard for me. I'm happy to leave that to God. We're going to find out soon enough, aren't we? But it's stupendous, isn't it? We have an awesome God. I'm also mindful of the Bible text in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, which says, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for him. So I'm happy to wait and see, aren't you? It's going to be incredible. I can't wait. I think when we get there and we see this happening, we're going to say, well... Heaven was cheap enough, won't we? Amen. In verse 17, Revelation 21 says that he measured its wall 144 cubits. A cubit is the average length of a man's arm from the tip of the middle finger to the point of the elbow. So that's roughly about 53 centimetres or roughly 20 inches. Now if we multiply that by 144, we get around 76 metres or roughly 249 feet. That's a pretty big wall too, isn't it? 249 feet high. And those of you out there watching, you may want to get your phone and take a picture of these measurements on the screen because they're worth remembering and checking out. Then it says in verse 19, the foundation of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper. The second was sapphire. The third, a chalcedony. The fourth, an emerald. The fifth, sardonyx. The sixth, sardius. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, a topaz. The tenth, a chrysoprasus. The eleventh, a jacinth. The twelfth, and amethyst, amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. Can you get your mind around this? It's stupendous. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. I can't imagine that. What a time it's going to be. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And I couldn't find a picture that would describe that. That's the best I could find. It's going to be nothing compared. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve manna, which, which we may say as types or crops of fruit, and yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. You know, this is the symbol of the leaves of the tree of life. They're healing us now, aren't they? And there should be no more curse. But the stone of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. No more hearing aids. No more glasses. No more false teeth. No more sore backs. No more headaches. Wow. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No more tears. No more death. No sorrow. No crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things have passed away. Good news, eh? Amen. 
And the city does not need the, the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light. And it will give its light if the glory of God, if the throne of God is at the top of that city, that's going to radiate around the whole earth. That's going to be astonishing. And the city will be lit up with the glory of God's throne. Because it says, in the lamb is its lamp. So that light will come from Jesus. And you could read the full description if you want to in Revelation 21.10 to 22 verse 5. It's worth reading in depth. And let your mind grasp that picture. We spoke extensively in the last episode about the writings of Ellen White and how the Seventh-day Adventist Church regards her writing. So in this episode, I'm just going to repeat the official statements in the book 28 Fundamentals about Ellen White. It says this, One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is prophecy. This gift is an identifying mark of the remnant church and was manifested in the ministry of Ellen G. White. As the Lord's messenger, her writings are a continuing and authoritative source of truth which provide for the church comfort, guidance, instruction and correction. They also make clear that the Bible is the standard by which all teachings and experience must be tested. Isn't that so? We don't put Ellen White's writings above the Bible. It's not even equal to the Bible. It is a lesser light which directs us to the true light. Now I'm going to show you something, some amazing descriptions that she made about her very first vision at the age of 19. And this vision is remarkable in its description of some of the glories of heaven. I'll be quoting from the following publications, Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1, which was published in 1855 and 1868, Chapter 7, titled My First Vision. This is also an early writing, which was published in 1882, Experience and Views, where she describes her first vision. In her opening report, she was obviously describing her vision of the second coming. And we read this. Then Jesus' silver trumpet sounded as he descended on the cloud, wrapped in flames of fire. He gazed on the graves of the sleeping saints, raised his eyes and hands to heaven and cried, Awake! 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 Ye that sleep in the dust and arise! Then there was a mighty earthquake. The graves opened and the dead came up clothed with immortality. 144,000 144, shouted, Hallelujah! As they recognized their friends who'd been torn from them in death. And in the same moment, we were changed and caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. We all entered the cloud together and were seven days ascending to the sea of glass. Why seven days? Why didn't we go there like that? We'll talk more about that later. Seven-day journey. We all entered the cloud with seven days ascending to the sea of glass when Jesus brought the crowns and with his own right hand he put them on our heads and he gave us harps of gold and palms of victory. Here on the sea of glass, 144,000 stood in a perfect square. Some of them had very bright crowns Others not so bright. Some crowns appeared heavy with stars, while others had but few. Now at this point, we should ask the question, who are these 144,000? There are some denominations, some churches out there who will try to tell you they know who the 144,000 are. But I want you to see what Ellen White said about these, number, these people. She addressed this question many years later in 1901 when she wrote this. She said, when men pick up this theory and that theory, when they're curious to know something it is not necessary for them to know, God is not leading them. It is not his plan that his people shall present something which they have to suppose or imagine, which is not taught in the word. It is not his will that they shall get into controversy over questions which will not help them spiritually, such as, who is to compose the 144,000? For those who are the elect of God will in a short time know without question. That's true, aren't we? We'll find out. My brethren and sisters, appreciate and study the truths that God has given you and your children. 
He says, spend not your time in seeking to know that which would be no spiritual help. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? From Luke 10, 25. That is the all-important question. And it has been clearly answered, what is written in the law? How read is thou? That's a pretty good answer for me. We don't need to waste time speculating about it, do we? We'll find out soon enough. There are far more important topics in God's word to consider. What do you say? Amen. Amen. Now let's return to that first vision as she <coughs> continues her description. She says, All were perfectly satisfied with their crowns, and they were all clothed with a glorious white mantle from their shoulders to their feet. Angels were all about us as we marched over the sea of glass to the gate of the city. Here we saw the tree of life and the throne of God. Out of the throne came a pure river of water, and on either side of the river was the tree of life. On one side of the river was the trunk of a tree, and a trunk on the other side of the river, both of pure, transparent gold. Can you imagine that? A gold tree. Even boys and girls would be fascinated with this. At first I thought I saw two trees, she said. I looked again and saw that they were united at the top in one tree. So it was a tree of life on either side of the river of life. Its branches bowed to the places where we stood. And the fruit was glorious. It looked like gold mixed with silver. Ever seen an apple that looks like gold mixed with silver? Describing this vision and its effects on her later, she said this. I related this vision to the believers in Portland. They had full confidence that it was from God. They all believed that God had chosen this way after the great disappointment in October 1844 to comfort and strengthen his people. The Spirit of the Lord attended the testimony and the solemnity of eternity rested upon us. An unspeakable awe filled me that I, so young and feeble, should be chosen as the instrument by which God would give light to his people. What an awesome experience. While under the power of the Lord, I was filled with joy, seeming to be surrounded by holy angels in the glorious courts of heaven, where all is peace and gladness. And it was a sad and bitter change to wake up to the realities of mortal life. After she came out of vision, what a disappointment. Well, in early 1847, the Whites accepted an invitation from the Stockbridge Hallen family to come and live on the top floor of their spacious, well-constructed home in Topsham, which was about 35 miles north of their former home at Gorham. And it was here on Sabbath, April 3rd, 1847, before a small group of assembled fellow Sabbath keepers that 19-year-old Ellen White was given one of her most important visions. This would have been before she was Ellen, Ellen White. She would have been Helen Harmon. And four days after this impressive vision, Ellen wrote of it in detail to Joseph Bates. And please note in particular the prepositions that she employs in describing this mind-boggling cosmic journey to the celestial city. I'm quoting. Soon, she says, I was lost to earthly things and was wrapped in a vision of God's glory. I saw an angel flying swiftly to me. He quickly carried me from the earth to the holy city. She says, there's perfect order and harmony in the holy city. All the angels that are commissioned to visit the earth had a golden card. Wow. And we thought we invented plastic cards. <laughs> They have a golden card. And they present it to the angels at the gates of the city as they pass in and out. She says, in this city, I saw a temple, which I entered. I passed through a door before I came to the first veil. This veil was raised, and I passed into the holy place. Here, I saw the altar of incense, the candlestick with seven lamps, and the table on which was the showbread. After viewing the glory of the holy, Jesus raised the second veil and I passed into the holy of holies. Remember, 
This is the temple in heaven that Moses was given a pattern of. This is the real thing. In the holiest I saw an ark. On the top and sides of it was purest gold. On each end of the ark was a lovely cherub with its wings spread out over it. Their faces were turned toward each other and they looked downward. Between the angels was a golden censer. Above the ark where the angels stood was an exceeding bright glory that appeared like a throne where God dwelt. Jesus stood by the ark and as the saints' prayers came up to him, the incense in the censer would smoke and he would offer up their prayers with the smoke of the incense to his father. In the ark was the golden pot of manna. Aaron rod that budded and the tables of stone which folded together like a book. Jesus opened them and I saw the Ten Commandments written on them with the finger of God. On one table were four and on the other six. The four on the first table shone brighter than the other six. But the fourth, the Sabbath commandment, shone above them all for the Sabbath was set apart to be kept in honour of God's holy name. Do you believe that? What a privilege it is to keep the Sabbath day holy and remember this. What do you say? Amen. The holy Sabbath looked glorious. A halo of glory was all around it. Well, this vision was indeed impressive. And Ellen was totally struck with the reality of the experience. She was in a real place accompanied by real supernatural persons and looking at real liturgical furniture concerning which she'd previously only read about in scripture. And forever after she would represent this heavenly temple and its high priest as something very real, very literal. It's not just a story, folks. It is real. These visions of heaven must certainly raise the question, is there really life on other worlds? You know, NASA spend a lot of money trying to, find, trying to answer that question, don't they? Mm-hmm. Billions! Sending rockets up there and radio telescopes and who knows what else to try and discover life on other worlds. All I have to do is look in here. The answer's in here. In her book, The Great Controversy, she makes it very clear that there is She said this, the connection of the invisible with the visible world, the ministration of the angels of God and the agency of evil spirits are plainly revealed in the scriptures and inseparably woven, interwoven with human history. It's clear, it's all there. She quotes 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands were the heavenly messengers beheld by the prophet Daniel. The Apostle Paul declared them to be an innumerable company. Daniel 7 verse 10, Hebrews 12 verse 22. As God's messengers, they go forth like the appearance of a flash of lightning. We find that in Ezekiel 1 verse 14. So dazzlingly glory and so swift their flight. And the angel that appeared at the Saviour's tomb, his countenance like lightning and his raiment white as snow, caused the keepers for fear of him to quake and fall like dead men. No human could do that. Thus God's people exposed the deceptive power and unsleeping malice of the Prince of Darkness and in conflict with all the forces of evil are assured of the unceasing guardianship of heavenly angels. Is that good news? Amen. Amen. In another compilation she wrote, the book Maranatha, she wrote this. God has worlds upon worlds that are obedient to his law. These worlds are conducted with reference to the glory of their creator. And as the inhabitants of these worlds see the great price that has been paid to ransom men, they are filled with amazement. An unfallen world, they look at the struggle down here, they see the great price that Christ has paid to redeem men, and they are astonished. And this one she wrote about in the book Patriarchs and Prophets, one of my favourite books. She said, The whole universe had been witness to the scenes at Sinai. In the working out of the two administrations was seen the contrast 
between the government of God and that of Satan. He says, again, the sinless inhabitants of other worlds behold the results of Satan's apostasy and the kind of government he would have established in heaven if he'd been permitted to bear sway. And this one in a compilation that I may know him. He says, we should consider that it was not merely to accomplish the redemption of man that Christ came to earth. It was not merely that the inhabitants of this little world might regard the law of God as it should be regarded, but it was to demonstrate to all the world that God's law is unchangeable and that the wages of sin is death. The whole story isn't just on this planet. Is that right? It's a much more universal story. And this one, in a Review and Herald article in 1896, she said, many seem to have the idea that this world and the heavenly mansions constitute the universe of God. Not so. The redeemed throng will reign from world to world, and much of their time will be employed in searching out the mysteries of redemption. And throughout, throughout the whole stretch of eternity, this subject will be continually opening to their minds. She said, the privileges of those who overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony are beyond comprehension. Friends, you don't want to miss out, do you? You don't want to miss out. And in the book Adventist Home, she wrote this. She wrote a chapter on the privileges of the redeemed with these terms. She said, the Lord has given me a view of other worlds Wings were given me, and an angel attended me from the city to a place that was bright and glorious, out of the city to another world. The grass of the place was living green, and the birds there warbled a sweet song. Birds. The inhabitants of the place were of all sizes. They were noble, majestic, and lovely. They bore the express image of Jesus, and their countenances beamed with holy joy expressive of the freedom and happiness of a place. She said, I asked one of them why they were so much more lovely than those on the earth. The reply was, we have lived in strict obedience to the commandments of God. We have not fallen in disobedience like those on the earth. She said, then, then she said, I saw two trees. Much look like, one looked like, much like the tree of life in the city. The fruit of both looked beautiful. Now notice this, but of one they could not eat. They had power to eat of both, but were forbidden to eat of one. Well, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is also present on other worlds. Imagine that. The beings on other worlds have an opportunity to choose evil. They have a choice, and that is the basis of their choice. But they don't choose it. Then my attending angel said to me, none in this place have tasted of the forbidden tree, but if they should eat, they would fall. Well, how interesting is this? Perhaps because they can see what has happened on this planet, and believe it or not, we are all on stage in the theatre of the universe. What do you say? This isn't a battle going on on this planet only. We are warriors. We are representatives of Christ in the trenches of a fallen world. And not only are people on this world watching us, but unfallen beings on other worlds are watching who we represent. Not only by what we do on Sabbath, but what we do every day of the week by how we talk to our friends, by how we talk to our spouses, by what we think, by what we eat, by what we dress, by what we do. All of these actions demonstrate, exhibit who it is we're really serving. By what we watch, it demonstrates who we're serving. you believe that? How important is it that we ask God for supernatural power to overcome sin? and represent his character correctly. What do you say? <clears throat> she said, Then I was taken to a world which had seven moons, and there I saw good old Enoch, who had been translated. Wow! 
I'm looking forward to meeting Enoch, aren't you? Wow. And Elijah, too. On his right arm, he bore a glorious palm, and on each leaf was written victory. Around his head was a dazzling white wreath, and leaves on the wreath, and in the middle of each leaf was written purity. And around the wreath were stones of various colours that shone brighter than the stars, and cast a reflection upon the letters and magnified them. And the back part of his head was a bow that confined the wreath, and upon the bow was written holiness. Above the wreath was a lovely crown that shone brighter than the sun. I asked him if this was the place he was taken to from the earth. He said, it is not. The city is my home. I've just come to visit this place. He moved about the place as if perfectly at home. I begged of my attending angel to let me remain in that place. I could not bear the thought of coming back to this dark world again. But then the, then the angel said to me, you must go back. And if you are faithful, you with the 144,000 shall have the privilege of visiting all the world and viewing the handiwork of God. Wow! What do you say, friend? Wow! Heaven is a good place, she said. I long to be there and behold my lovely Jesus, who gave his life for me and be changed into his glorious image. You looking forward to that? Wow. She says, oh, for language to express the glory of the bright world to come. She said, I thirst for the living stream that make glad the city of God. Well, Ellen White didn't have the benefit of Hubble Space Telescope or any other technology that NASA could cook up. Well, she certainly didn't need it, did she? And she surely saw much more than we could ever hope to see with our technology today. And yet she still could not find the language to accurately describe the wonders that she saw. Well, we're going to take a look at what has been revealed by NASA and Hubble. We see in this picture a close-up look at the Pleiades, mentioned in the book of Job. And you can see this star cluster with your naked eye or a good telescope. And maybe Job could see it even clearer in his day. Have you ever looked for that with a telescope? <coughs> and here is one of the Orion Nebula, one of the most fascinating objects in our Milky Way. And this one is a closer view of Orion. <coughs> and another one closer still. And this one is an extremely close-up view of amazing objects in Orion, described by NASA as newly forming planetary systems. They're called proplids. Proplid. And these things are forming star system just like our Milky Way. It's one of these things you see in the screen there. It's actually a star system like our Milky Way in formation. This is awesome when you look at that. If you take a close-up view of these things, it is absolutely awesome. And maybe it's why, one reason why Orion is called a star factory. Now back to Ellen White's first vision where she described her journey to the heavenly city is taking seven days. We're going to take another look and listen carefully to what she said about Orion. She said, We all entered the cloud together and were seven days ascending to the sea of glass. When Jesus brought the, ground, the crowns and with his own right hand placed them on our heads, he gave us harps of gold and palms of victory. Since the dark, heavy clouds came up and clashed against each other, the atmosphere parted and rolled back. Then we could look up through the open space in Orion when came the voice of God, the holy city will come down through that open space. How interesting. The holy city will descend through that open space in Orion. Maybe NASA doesn't realise it, but the Holy Spirit is inspiring them to take a close look at this place. The scientific relevance of this statement is fascinating because Orion is in line with the Earth's celestial equator and celestial objects near this theoretical line are visible worldwide. And this fact gives great relevance to the Bible statement 
about the second coming in Revelation 1 verse 7, which says this, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Well, if the holy city is going to come down through that open space in Orion, as Ellen White said, so that it will be seen by every eye, then it would seem very likely that Jesus will also return to that same open space in Orion. Hmm. Worth thinking about. I can't prove that, but it looks interesting. And perhaps it will also mean that God's remnant people will complete their seven-day return journey with him back through Orion to the Holy City. Rosemary pointed out to us yesterday afternoon, as we're talking about this, about this journey to the Holy City. She ever wondered why it's going to take seven days? She made the comment that, remember in Old Testament times when someone overcome, someone conquered a city or a nation, they brought all the captives back and they paraded them around. Well, maybe God is going to take us, his captives from earth. He's going to take them around heaven, a journey through heaven for seven days, parading the captives, the victors, the victory march through heaven. Wow. Think about that. It's a fascinating idea, especially in the light of this amazing video from NASA and the Hubble telescope zooming right down into the open space in Orion. And as you watch this video, let your mind imagine that this is just a brief glimpse of what our journey home to the heavenly city is going to be like. the treasures of the universe will be open to the study of God's redeemed. Unfettered by mortality, they wing their tireless flight to worlds afar, worlds that thrilled with sorrow at the spectacle of human woe and rang with glad songs at the tidings of a ransomed soul. With unutterable delight, the children of earth enter into the joy and wisdom of unfallen beings. They share the treasures of knowledge and understanding gained through ages and ages of contemplation of God's handiwork. With undimmed vision, they gaze upon the glory of creation, sun and stars and systems, all in their appointed order, circling the throne of deity. Upon all things, from the least to the greatest, the Creator's name is written, and in all the riches of His power displayed and years of eternity as they roll will bring richer and still more glorious revelation of God and of Christ. As knowledge is progressive, so will love, reverence and happiness increase. The more men learn of God, the greater will be their admiration of his character. As Jesus opens before them riches of redemption and amazing achievements at the great controversy with Satan, the hearts of the ransom thrill with more fervent devotion and with more rapturous joy they sweep the harps of gold and 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands of voices unite to swell the mighty chorus of praise. In Revelation 5.13 we read, And every creature within heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honour and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb for ever and ever. The great controversy is ended. Sin and sinners are no more. The entire universe is clean. One pulse of harmony and gladness beats through the vast creation. From him who created all flow life and light and gladness throughout the realms of illimitable space, from the minutest atom to the greatest world, all things animate and inanimate in their unshadowed beauty and perfect joy declare that God is love.
friends, as Ellen White said, we are homeward bound. He who loved us so much to die for us has builded for us a city. The new Jerusalem is our place of rest. There will be no sadness in the city of God, no wail of sorrow, no dirge of crushed hopes and buried affections will evermore be heard. Isn't that good news? Soon the garments of heaviness will be changed for the wedding garment. Soon we shall witness the coronation of our King. Those whose lives have been hidden with Christ, those who on this earth have fought the good fight of faith, will shine forth with the Redeemer's glory in the kingdom of God. What do you say? You want to do that? I tell you what, it makes everything on this planet worthwhile. It will not be long till we shall see him in whom our hopes of eternal life are centered. And in his presence, all the trials and suffering of this life will be as nothingness. Therefore, as it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 to 37, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. It does, doesn't it? Great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise, for ye a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Look up. Look up. And let your faith continually increase. Let this faith guide you along the narrow path that leads through the gates of the city of God into the great beyond. The wide, unbounded future of glory that is for the redeemed. Listen to this final message from Pastor John Bradshaw and the Fountain View Orchestra. Jesus is coming again. And really, that's what it's all about. Being reunited with our good friend Jesus. And that's what God wants. This production demonstrates that, you know, speaking of earthquakes, more than 6,000 years ago, there was a great earthquake in the Garden of Eden, the greatest earthquake ever to strike this earth. It was the earthquake of sin because sin separates us from God. The human family and the holy God were separated, which is why God sent Jesus into this world to bring us back into harmony with God. The light of truth burned brightly in the early Christian church, but before long, it was obscured. The dark ages came. They were dark because there was no light of truth. Then came the reformers and slowly but surely the light of truth started to shine brightly again. Not just truth as a theory, but truth in the person of Jesus. You see, as we look back over where we've been, as we've spent this time together, what we see is that God is doing everything He can to get us to the place where we are ready to spend eternity with Him. I hope you'll take the opportunity to read the book that this production is based on. I can recommend it personally. It's the, the book outside of the Bible that absolutely changed my life. Read it. Be encouraged. Be blessed. See the, the fingerprints of God down through history leading to the place when that great day comes, the sky splits wide open and Jesus appears. Friend, is the appearance of Jesus your great hope? It can be. It must be. If you'll open up your heart to Jesus Christ, then what Jesus did when He was on the earth, what the reformers did when they put their lives in peril to deliver us truth and light, will all be for something. There's something you can look forward to beyond the hurt and the heartbreak and the disappointments and the trials of this world. You can look forward to the return of Jesus. When He comes back, He wants to take you home to be with Him forever. The best news is Jesus is coming again.
the trumpet and loud let it ring. Jesus is coming again. Cheer up, ye pilgrims, be joyful and sing. Jesus is coming again. Echoing hilltops proclaim it, she blames. Jesus is coming again. Coming in glory, the Lamb that was slain. Jesus is coming again. Coming in and Jesus is coming. Tell the vast wandering throng, Jesus is coming again. Tempests and whirlwinds, the anthem prolonged, Jesus is coming again. Coming again. What do you say? Amen. Amen. You're looking forward to that? There is nothing to compare with it. Now for our viewers who have been watching this program, you heard Pastor Bradshaw talk about the great controversy. And if you would like a copy of the music that you've seen on this program together with a copy of the great controversy, here is the information you need. Tuck up your pen, get your phone and be prepared. Inspired by the Reformation, the Great Controversy DVD production is a musical and historical journey through Europe. It is written's John Bradshaw joins Fountain View Academy to host this production filmed in five different countries of Europe at historically meaningful sites. These young musicians share not only music, but personal testimonies and powerful Reformation stories still relevant to our lives today. To order your own set of the Great Controversy DVD and book by Fountain View Academy Orchestra and Singers, visit their online web store at store.fountainview.ca. That's store.fountainview.ca. Or you may call them in North America on 1877 490 4141. Let us pray. Loving Father, what a joy it is to pray to you and give thanks and praise to you, Lord, 
for that which you prepared for them that love you. Mm -hmm. We are conscious that we are mortal. There's a great gulf between us and you because of sin. But Jesus has bridged that gulf. Lord, we are so thankful and we accept that mighty sacrifice. We're so grateful for it, Lord. Please forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and move us by your Spirit to want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we might have a mindset that is fit to be a resident in the holy city, that we may withstand all the trouble that's in this world, and perhaps there's more trouble to come. Lord, we want to be ready to go home with you, and not only do we want to be ready, we want to have a train of captives with us who will join us on that victory march of seven days throughout the universe, displaying the wonderful result of Jesus' work. Please keep this foremost in our mind as we move forward in this old dark world, knowing that you are coming again soon. Help us to tell as many as we can and to be ready ourselves to meet you in the clouds because we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You've been listening to Focus on God's Word with Graham Weir, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. If you have any comments or questions, send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au.